So this week, um, it's taken us a long time to get through Ephesians. We're going to take an entire school year to get through this little six-chapter book. Um, and we've spent a lot of time in the last couple months in what we talked about last week, the house to fell, the house rules, the house table um, in Ephesians, where Paul is talking about uh, the relationship we have towards one another. You see, Jesus cares about how we interact with one another because the cross changes our identity as who we are, and it changes our identity as what we are and how we interact with one another. And we saw in this, these house rules that Paul is giving us here, he talks about wives, he talks about husband. Uh, last time we met, he talked about children and talked about parents. And these are all things that Paul has addressed, and they're all things that Paul is constantly coming back to the first five chapters. What happens um, in chapter, the end of chapter 5 and chapter 6 is not disconnected from that bold, vibrant gospel that Paul has been preaching in the previous four. It's from it. So from our gospel identity, we get the way in which we interact with one another. It's not that Paul sat down, got bored, and he's like, let's tell people how to act. He's like, how do people who have been saved by Christ act in accordance with that? How has what Christ done change your interaction with people? So this is the final section um, in this uh, relationship component of Ephesians. But I just want to pause and give a disclaimer for this text here um, as we begin to look at it. Now, now we're hosting, as I just said, um, next Tuesday, a seminar on human trafficking, human slavery. And, and it just blows my mind that there are 27 million slaves today, which means that today there are more people enslaved than have ever been enslaved in human history, and we, we very rarely think of that. We're very rarely aware of that. And the university um, is also holding a thing. It's something that secular society cares about, but it's something that Christians really care about. Um, and there's really, if you look at the history of, of the abolition of slavery, there's been no group so consistently opposed to it, no group as successful in, in abolishing slavery as the Christian church. It's kind of been the bastion cry, and it's because there's such this, this great um, symbolism between the slavery we have in sin that Christ broke to the slavery that the world imposes on people, and we see that, and it's a portrait of redemption, and so that's something that we're drawn to, um, and, and depending upon what Bible translation you're using tonight, um, the first word in our text in Ephesians 6 verse 5 could either be translated slave, servants, or bond servants. One word with three different interpretations of that word. Um, and there are two reasons why this is true. In fact, um, I'm reading from a 2007 edition of the ESV. Mine says slaves. The newer edition says bond servants. Um, and so I just want to touch before we get rolling here on the nature um, of what's going on here. The first reason for this is that in the first century Roman world, you were either slave or you were free. There, there were those two categories of people. And it wasn't like today where we think of America where there's like 98% um, who are free and there's that 2% that are invisible to us that are enslaved through various ways. It was either slave or free, and it was the cornerstone of their economy. Slavery was a big deal um, in the Roman world. Uh, and uh, as Paul says in the previous passage, that you can be in all sorts of positions. You could be a wife. You could be a husband, you could be a child, you could be a parent, but what Paul's saying here is that whether you are slave or whether you are free, these same principles apply. Because oftentimes we're loophole people, we like loopholes. And so Paul's telling us this, he's telling us submission. All of this is ladled with submission. There's a mutual submission towards one another because Christ submitted himself to the will of God on the cross. And so submission is the baseline for Christianity. 
But it'd be easy in our hearts if, if we are one of these people who identifies as a servant or as a bond servant or as a slave. Or it's like, I, you know what? I get the submission, but it's not relevant to me because I'm in a position of it. Like, you can submit, but, but I'm a slave. I don't need to submit. Paul's like, no, it doesn't matter. It's like, whether you're slave or whether you're free, these are abiding principles for you as a Christian. These are principles tied to the cross. He pulls away the loophole and forces us to interact with what Paul has said, regardless of who we are. That means regardless of what station in life you are, regardless of your vocation, we need to look at what Paul is saying in the last part of Ephesians and apply it to our lives. So that's the first thing, is that there was slavery was a common thing um, in the first century. Secondly, this is a tricky subject because we shouldn't read 19th century American slavery into a first century context. And what I mean by saying that is that it's not an apples to apples comparison. Certainly, in the first century, there are people who, much like 19th century slavery in America or in Great Britain that you think of, that were um, stolen, were sold into slavery, and were treated as subhuman. That's something that has existed throughout cultures, unfortunately. It's something that we should be uh, actively opposed against. But there are also those who are born into slavery, who are given a stipend on which to live, um, who lived a fairly comfortable life and were actually granted retirement at a certain age in their service. There are also slaves um, who voluntarily sold themselves into slavery as a slave to either be an honor to someone. You've seen that in some movies where um, someone is saved by someone else and they vow their life to that person. So it was an act of honor to submit yourself as a slave. Some people sold themselves into slavery to pay a debt or even to obtain livelihood, work, money for a family. Um, and there are certainly areas where slavery um, was horrible and dreadful and terrible, but there are also ways in which slavery was a comfortable way to live in the house of a middle, live in a house of a middle or upper class person, have a fairly safe life, get food, have security, and be protected by these people who you are staying with. And there are actually ways where slaves, there's legislature where slaves weren't slaves for life. There are things you could do and, and legal systems you could go through, even though they were hard sometimes, that would allow a slave to procure his or her freedom. But there's only one word for slave in the New Testament. That word is doulos, and it means to be under a compulsory service towards one another. But as Paul steps back, and as we look at this first century, it's hard to say slave in the mindset we would think. It's hard to just say servant. It's hard to just say bondservant, because that one word could deal with people in a whole different gamut of slavery, from people who are living well and living almost royally, who live as servants, to those who are in horrible circumstances. And so when you see that word being translated different ways, what's happened is translators look at that word, and they look at the context, and they're trying to say, what, what's the best guess that the author is writing to here. He's talking to people, because there's sometimes where Paul is vehement that you should seek your slavery. There's sometimes where Paul talks about oppression towards slaves, and on those, it's a little more clear. He's probably talking directly to those who are in slavery in, in a more uh, terrible sense. But there's all sorts of layers around this word in slavery. Um, and in this text, most Bible translations have chosen to use the word bondservant meaning that this was a servant who was given some sort of compensation, um, whether it was housing, whether it was food, whether it was a stipend, um, but who, who wasn't someone who was always constantly being um, treated poorly. But, and we know that, we could kind of assume that, because Paul doesn't talk about persecution here. 
Other times, in 1 Peter, he talks about, hey, slaves, you need to submit even though sometimes it will um, hurt you. You need to, to be honorable towards your master, and then he ties that to Christ. Christ endured without sin horrible things for the sake of his father. And so he, he talks about it, but he's not talking about this here. At other times, he says, hey, if there's a way you, sh- you can obtain your freedom, go for that. Do that. Obtain your freedom. Become free. Fight for freedom. But he's not mentioning that here. And in fact, the main theme as we look at this text has less to do about who you are and more to do with how you're acting in a certain circumstance. And we see that um, in Ephesians 6, 7, where Paul says this. This is kind of the key to interpreting what he's talking about here. It's at the core of his message. He says, rendering a service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. And so Paul's theme here isn't, are you slave or are you free? His theme here is those who are rendering a service towards one another. And so this applies to the slave, it applies to the servant, it applies to the bond servant, it applies to anyone who in any circumstance is rendering a servant or rendering a service towards somebody else. Paul's not speaking out for or against slavery here, but he's speaking to those who are in a position of service. And this is relevant because regardless of where you are or who is over you, Jesus has changed how you interact with them. Jesus has changed how you respond to them. And, and this is a really long introduction, and some of you are like, why are we talking about this? But this is important because slavery is a real issue. Because this is something I don't want to brush over, and I don't want to uh, brush it under the rug and act like the Bible doesn't interact with it and doesn't talk about it, because the Bible does. But I also don't want to say more about slavery than what the text itself is saying right now. And so that's my, my, my kind of big catch-all ideology at the beginning where we're talking about slavery. This is the Bible's view of slavery. Um, and now I'm going to stop talking about this really big subject and talk about what the text is talking about, which is what I'm comfortable doing. So um, what I want to do is pray now, and then we're going to get rolling into this. So um, Lord, we, we come before you as, and even just as we're, we're looking at this issue, we see how sin has tangled up how we view things. It's tangled up how we interact with things. Um, we thank you for a Christ who came to die for hearts that do horrible things. As we look at this text, Lord, as we look at how we um, who are in service towards others are to respond, I thank you that you have planted yourself in the middle of it. You have posted yourself as, as the motivation and as the model of service. And I pray that as we look at this, um, you labor on us through the text, you enlighten us through it. Pray that you bring us to a place where we can repent of our service or be more joyful in our service, but I pray that ultimately you will bring us to a place where Christ is more manifest in our hearts while we serve. Because, Lord, the thing that this world needs to see is not so much good Christian workers, but what the world needs to see is the Christ for whom the Christians work. So we love you. We give you this time. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, so bond servants, as, as I sit back and, and, and think about college-aged individuals, I can't really think of a better word um, to describe this stage than bond servants. Because there are so many things we're bound to, right? You're bound to school payments, you're bound to your teacher's lectures, exams, schedule. At employment, you're bound to what they say the wages. You have to show up when they tell you to show up. You have to do what they tell you to do. Um, many of the programs you're in right now might require community service, or maybe they offer it as extra credit, which, by the way, is the only way I got an A 
in GWiz's chemistry class here. Um, and, uh, and some of you are learning how that service works in a roommate situation where you're, you're having to render service towards other people. Sometimes it's out of kindness, sometimes it's out of obligation, um, but all the times you just want to use the shower first. Um, and so we're trying to figure this out, and our lives are riddled with ways in which we're required to serve, or our lives are riddled with ways in which we have some sort of duty or a service rendered to somebody else. Just think about your life right now. Think about those things, whether it's employment, whether it's uh, family obligations, whether it's school, um, whether it's uh, anything in your life to where you are, you are under an obligation or a compulsion to serve or to give a duty to someone. How do you respond to these things? How do you respond to poor leadership at work, to a boss who's really kind of awkward and clumsy or a manager who doesn't really know what they're doing? How do you respond to a professor who gives you a homework assignment that seems like just busy work? It's not really beneficial to anybody. He's just trying to fill our time. We've all had those things. Well, regardless of who or what those circumstances are, Paul wants us to respond Christianly to these circumstances. That's a unique thing that Paul kind of brings again and again in Ephesians. How we respond to the whole gamut of life, we should respond out of the reality of who Christ is and what he's done for us. We should respond Christianly to every challenge, to every person, to every idea that comes into our lives. And unfortunately, I don't do this a lot. It's easy to respond Christianly in Christian contexts at GCF and at church and in community group and maybe at home with my wife when I'm feeling super spiritual. Um, but it's harder for me to respond Christianly in kind of the, the nominal day-to-day -day things. Paul knew that. He knew that I would struggle. Jesus knows that. My wife certainly knows that. My coworkers probably know that um, because oftentimes I'm asked to serve um, at work. I'm asked to serve at home. I'm asked to do all sorts of things, and I do it kind of begrudgingly. I do it kind of mockingly, like I do it and scoff in the back of my head, like, this is ridiculous. Am I really doing this right now? Um, there's all sorts of ways we can respond in our service towards one another. And what Paul wants to do in this text is he wants to um, give us three attitudes to avoid in service. When we're, when we're dealing with um, someone telling us to do something here on this earth, when we're dealing with offering a service or a duty to someone, Paul is cautioning us with three attitudes to avoid. And so I want to look at those um, quickly tonight. And the first one we see is in Ephesians 6, 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. So the first um, thing Paul is pushing against here is thoughtless service. Thoughtless service. Service is thoughtless, it's empty, you're not really thinking about what's going on, someone told you to do it, and you do it. And do you, do you see the weight of what Paul really said in that? I'm going to read it again. If you have your Bibles, you can look at it. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. That's a pretty heavy command, isn't it? Paul didn't just say obey. Like we saw that last week. It would be easy if Paul just says obey. Obey people. That's an easy thing to do. He did the same with children. He didn't just say kids obey. He said children obey your parents as in the Lord. See, Jesus isn't after raw obedience with us. He's not after raw, thoughtless obedience. Jesus is after faithful obedience. Obedience that responds out of the overflow of what Christ has done for us. And for Paul, it's not enough for you to obey but he pushes even further. He says, obey with fear and trembling and obey out of a sincere heart. That sincerity is kind of a 
a tough word to think about. I, how many things do I really do sincerely? That's a really heavy word. How many things am I like, like hoping and yearning and striving for in my heart? You know, that's what Paul is calling us to do as we respond to people who are in authority over us. What's the last command people, someone gave you today? It's probably Jordan um, when he told you to sit down and you all did it thoughtlessly. Shame on you. <laughs> um, but think about it. What's the last, whether it's in class or at work or in, in any of your circumstances, what's the last command that someone gave you today? How did you respond towards it? Did you obey it? Did you fight against it? What were you, and then what were you thinking when you did obey it? It was just, I was told, and now I do. I mean, look at what Paul said. Did you obey with fear and trembling? Like, did someone say, like, hey, can you take the trash out and put it in the back? And you're like, oh, I have this duty of taking this trash and putting it in the... It's like, that's, that's my, my physical fear and trembling. I don't know if that matches up. Um, but, but there's this weight, there's this honor, there's this, this deeper integrity behind what you're doing. Did you do it out of a sincere heart where you pick up this trash and you're like, I just want this to go in the trash so that my restaurant is the cleanest restaurant. No trash in this place. Wholesome. That's what clean places are, wholesome. Um, and and with, with every fiber of your being, because he's talking about sincerity of heart, not sincerity of action, not sincerity of mind, at the center of your being, with every fiber of who you are, where you're like, this I will do. And as funny as it is to talk about, Paul's not like scraping the bottom of the barrel here like, you know, obey is good, fear and trembling is good. Yeah, let's throw sincerity in there. That's good. Let's really make him work. I mean, this is, this is scripture. This is God's word to us. He's saying, obey your masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Man, that's the weight of all of this. And we could, with fear and trembling, take out the trash because if we don't, we might get fired. So we honor the position of our supervisor. We could do it out of sincerity because maybe we really do value a clean, good-looking facility that we work in. But Paul's saying, do it as if you would obey Christ. Did that come into your logic today when you were doing things? I'm assuming we all did things today. I'm assuming none of us are like self-starting entrepreneurs who sat in their office and did exactly what they wanted to do today. We had some sort of agenda. We had some needs we needed to meet. Well, why didn't we? I mean, maybe it's just because you've never seen this text before, and now next week you're going to be the most intense person ever. Maybe it's because you were unaware of it. But we care about serving Christ, don't we? We care about joy. Like no one, no one signs up for a job because you're like, this sounds like the most joyless, boring job I could ever have. This is delightful. No one does it. We care about Christ. We care about joy. And, and so here's what Paul is saying here. If your work is dreadfully boring, if you dread going to work, if you see it as meaningless, if you see it as, as tedious and, and just completely irrelevant to anything productive, it's probably because you see yourself as working for too little. It's probably because your vision is narrowed. We Christians, we work for Christ regardless of where we're employed. Regardless of who is telling us what to do and who's signing your paychecks. Let me give you an example. Um, and this example is a little different because I, I work at a church. And so 
um, I am working for Christ. Christ signs my paychecks. Um, and uh, I was asked, uh, KJ, our executive pastor, came and asked me to uh, clean out an office that was next to my office. And, and the logic behind it was that uh, Family Promise, which is an organization uh, that helps homeless families when they're without a home, but they have a job and all that stuff, help, houses them for, I think it's three months, tries to get them back on their feet, um, and then uh, help work out of that situation. And it's, it's done really great things. We've been honored to be a part of it. And so KJ asked me to clean out this empty office that just had become the junk room. Like, we all have junk rooms, right? So this had became the junk room. There's like two mini fridges in it. And I'm, why are there mini fridges in an office in the church? Um, and uh, just a bunch of junk. I don't even know what it is. It was my old office, so most of it was mine. Um, but KJ told me to do it, and, and the first thing I said is like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. But in my heart, I was like, <laughs> that was the noise I made. Because I'm like, seriously? I'm like, I've got so many better things to do, like look at Twitter and stuff, then go clean out this thing. And so I, I actually was busy for two days, and so I didn't get to it. But the last day, um, last Thursday, I went into the office, and it took me about 30 minutes to haul everything out. And I didn't ask anybody for help because I was like, mm, I'm kind of in an angry mood while I was doing it. Um, I wasn't even in an angry mood. It was just like a it was just like meaningless mood. It was a thoughtless mood. It's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and I did it. And then it wasn't until I sat down and I looked at this text, and, and I was just convicted of my service. Because first of all, I was given, um, it, it wasn't, it's not like KJ said, like, I command. Um, but it was, it, it, it was a request from a guy who is my boss. And he's a boss in a church. It's a guy of great uh, spiritual character and, and of spiritual responsibility. Um, and a guy who served me greatly. A guy who I benefit from and love to have in my life. And he gave me a simple request. And that request was to go and clean out a room so that people from the church could stay there and help homeless families get off the street. And I hated it because I'm a jerk. <laughs> like, think about it. That's what I was asked to do. It's like, hey, can you do, first of all, what you're paid to do, which is listen to me. Second of all, can you do it in the context of a church? Third of all, can you do it to get homeless families off the street? And I was like, <clears throat> I was just so narrow in what I was looking at. And you can look at your own life and see these things. Well, it's like, no, who cares about this? But you're serving things. You're serving people. And even if it seems like you're not, Paul says you're serving Christ. You're serving Christ. We go to a church called Sovereign Hope. We, we get, in a sense, God's sovereignty. We know of God's sovereignty. Sovereignty means that God is in ultimate control of everything. We sing songs about it. John and I preach about it. You probably talk about it in your community groups. And we get it, right? That's the church answer. How much does God control? God controls everything. What can't God do? Nothing. God is sovereign over all things. But that doesn't stop at your job. It doesn't stop at your place of vocation. It doesn't stop in your class. It doesn't stop in your volunteering. And if God is sovereign, isn't it safe to say that God has sovereignly appointed your leader, as many flaws or as imperfect as you may think they are, God has appointed that person in authority over you in the knowledge of his will. 
You see, if God is sovereign, things aren't accidental. If God is sovereign, don't we also come to accept that God is always working out his will? We know that in Romans, right? God's constantly working for his will. God doesn't waste movements. God is effective. God is efficient. God is beautiful in all that he's working for. And so if everything is part of God's will, then wouldn't we rejoice in our menial tasks because there's nothing menial in the plan of God? God's passionate for his glory. God's passionate for his cause. God's passionate for his will. And God's intricately in control. If we truly get that, that changes things, doesn't it? It changes how we view people. It changes how we respond to people. Look at this is something that hit me um, the other day as I was two verses that are super well known, right? Colossians. We went through Colossians last year. Colossians 3:17 says this. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we, how many of you guys have heard that verse? Probably everybody, right? We use that verse, great verse. Whatever you do, in all things, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Bible study question right now. Who are you working um, in this text? Who are we acting as? Paul uses this term in here. He says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I go, if I become an ambassador for the United States, and I go over to South Africa, and I go to the embassy that's on American soil with an American flag, and I put on my, my whatever ambassadors wear, super secret tuxedos, um, and put my American pin on it, and have signed documentation that says, I'm an ambassador for the United States of America, who am I representing? The United States. If I go out and punch somebody on the street, it's not Tyler punch somebody. It's America punch somebody. You've seen that. Politicians are representatives, ideally, of people. And what Paul is saying here is saying, you are acting in the name of Jesus Christ. You are an ambassador of Christ. That means in all things we labor as if we were Christ. We labor as if we were Christ. Christ came to serve, we come to serve. Christ came to love, we come to love. Christ came to to help, we came to help. Christ came to teach, we came to teach. We are laboring as if we were Christ. Right? You see that in that text? Now, look a few verses later. Colossians 3.23. Again, another one. Whatever you do... Work heartily. Again, it's, that, it's not like work, work fervently, work wildly, work heartily. Something that starts at the core of who you are. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Now in this text, who are we working for? We're working for the Lord and not for men. We're working for the Lord in what? In all things. Whatever you do. You see, these two verses are a pretty comprehensive matrix for how we view our work, aren't they? Because it kind of nailed both sides of it here. Think of the weight of what Paul is saying in these two texts. In everything that you do, whatever you do, in all things, you are to work as if, one, you were Christ, and two, as if you're serving Christ. If that's not enough motivation, you're missing something. If that doesn't call you to action, you're missing something. Why is this important? 
Because we labor out of an overflow of the joy of knowing that Christ came to serve in the name of God to save sinners. And then we also serve others out of an overflow of the service which we have received. See, Paul isn't after just empty service. Paul is after deep, meaningful service rooted in Christ. In your jobs, in your, in your school, in places where you are under people, you are acting as an ambassador of Christ, serving Christ. That makes things worthy, doesn't it? Think of how, like, freaked out it is. I have, where was it? It was a, a bar down in Hamilton, and Harrison Ford has a plane because he's Harrison Ford. Um, and uh, he sometimes flies into the Hamilton Airport because he's got a house there. And the guy down there was telling me that when Harrison Ford goes into the bar, like the, the waitresses are just like, what do we do? <laughs> like, how do I serve Harrison Ford a beer? Like, in a Millennium Falcon mug? Like, what's going on? Um, and so the sheer fact that Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford changed how these people served. The average person who comes in, they don't really care. It's thoughtless. But when it's Harrison Ford, they serve differently. If you see that you are serving Christ through your minute things in life, that brings a whole new meaning. It brings a whole new joy. Doesn't it? Doesn't that bring joy? Doesn't that bring purpose? Doesn't that bring a greater identity? Doesn't that bring zeal? Doesn't that bring sincerity? Doesn't that bring fear and trembling to what we're doing? And that enhances your life. So with this firmly in our mind, Paul warns us of the second way, the second attitude we can take in service. Verse 6. Nor, so he's continuing that thought, nor by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So the second thing Paul warns us against is vain service. Vain service. Now, because we just looked at gospel motivation, this should be easy for us, right? Because we just looked at we're serving out of an overflow of Christ, as Christ, for Christ, this should be easy for us, but it's not. We wrestle with this. Paul warns us our tendency to labor out of eye service, to labor as people pleasers. And doesn't that say something about our hearts? Because think about it. If God is the one who one day we will ultimately stand before and be judged for what we've done, he should be the one we're concerned about, right? It's like, it's like me going, Sarah has, Sarah is not picky about a lot of things, but she has an agenda on what I wear, and I'm really bad at following that agenda. And so when I want to bless my wife, I let her play dress up with me. I hate it. <laughs> hate every minute of it. Um, because I think it's uh, Sean mentioned that my clothes are either bought um, from Nike or Old Navy. And so those are the things I wear, except for this, because everyone should have a Grizzly Christian Fellowship t-shirt. Um, but it's like me about to go on a date with Sarah and me being concerned of what Owen thinks of my clothes and going into little 17-month-year-old Owen and being like, hey, Owen, do I look good? Great, let's go. Right? He's, I, who cares what Owen thinks? I've got a beautiful wife I want to please with my hot bod. <laughs> we could cut that out later. Um, 
But, but, but think about this. We have a, a holy, pure, righteous, worthy, praiseworthy God, and we're worried about what Supervisor Steve thinks of us? It's like, and we don't even care if we do things right, do we? We just want to be seen as good. It's like, we want to do the least amount of work possible to be seen as doing good work, right? We know, and we figure out how to do that in subtle ways. But it's not that we want people to recognize our good work because we really truly do good work. It's that we want to be recognized for good work because we want to be recognized. We want affirmation. We want that praise. And, and in one sense, it's a good thing. Paul talks a lot in Ephesians about affirming people. But if, all it's a, but if it's all about us, it's not about Christ. And if it's not about Christ, you're going to be really disappointed when one day you find out you're not as awesome as you think you are. You're going to be really disappointed when you find out that it really wasn't about you. It wasn't about how people perceived you. It wasn't about how people thought you worked. You see, you can be the best employee for all the worst reasons. There are wrong ways to do good work. And what Paul wants is he wants you to work out of a different identity. Look back at Ephesians 6.6. 6. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And so, sorry, my translation is different, so I'll read it again. Um, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You see that? What was the core of what Paul is saying there? Paul doesn't say work as an honor student. He doesn't say work as the best, best fry cook. He doesn't say work as the best accountant or work as the best coach. He says work as a bond servant of Christ. Work as someone who is willingly submitting and giving compulsory service to the one who served you unto salvation. See, your identity in Christ shapes your service. You see, to avoid vain service, it's not that we think less of ourselves, it's that we think more of Christ. To avoid vain service is that we sit at home and we try, it's like, how do I not get noticed? It's like, how do I work in such a way where people see Christ in what I'm doing? When Christ is the center of who you are, it's no longer you who live, but Christ in you. And when that happens, listen to me, disgruntled workers, anxious students, when that happens, you will find a greater capacity for work, a greater capacity for joy, because when we see that our lives are ultimately a group about Christ, our lives gain permanence. Our lives gain something that lasts. See, Christ lasts. You won't. No one will probably remember what you did in your job two years after you're dead. What people will remember is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see how tricky Paul is? <laughs> see, he comes into this and he's like, bond servants and masters. And we're like, good, tell us about him. And really he's just like, you and Christ. It's like he, he disguises timeouts. He's like, hey, come in here and here's a cookie. And he's like, hey, now we're talking about your relationship with Jesus. Gotcha. Because that's what everything's talking about here. He's like, servants obey. It has nothing to do with your masters. What does it have to do with? Obey as if you were serving Christ. In what way? Obey as a bondservant of Christ. For the good of all. In the will of God. Now why are these things important to us? 
Why does God care about how we work? Look at verses 7 through 8. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or he is free. Why does God care so much about this? Why, why, why is this in here? Because there's a lasting permanence to what we do. There's a lasting permanence to everything that we are. The third point Paul is pushing back against is insignificant service. You see, one of the greatest lies the devil will tell you is that actions don't matter. So he'll tell you that things you do in church matter, tell you that things, spiritual things matter, but not ordinary things. There are realms of importance. As long as you're important here, as long as you do good things here, you could slack off here. But there are no ordinary things with God. The C.S. Lewis who says that we never encounter a mere mortal. We always encounter eternal souls. There's an eternal nature to us. There's an eternal nature to our roommates, to our bosses, and to our co-workers that we need to be mindful of. So why does God care about how you obey and how you respond to those who are in authority? Because God is passionate about eternity. Because God knows there are eternal consequences for how we act. And Paul says, whether you're a bondservant or whether you're free, you will answer for what it is you've done. He says at the end, whether, again, right, he's stripping things. He caught us. It's about you and Christ. It's not about who you are or what you are. It's about you. It's about Christ. And he says, whether you're free or whether you're a bondservant, you will have to answer for what it is you're doing. You will have to stand before God Almighty and give an account not only for how you work, but out of who you're working from. Are you working out of a salvation rooted in the service of Christ? Or are you working out of a vanity tied to the reality of your <clears throat> imperfect fading body? I love it. Charles Hodge um, was a 19th century pastor, theologian. He was president of Princeton. Um, he nailed it when he said this. In, some, in this world, some men are masters and some are slaves. In the next, these distinctions will cease. There the question will be not who is the master and who is the slave, but who has done the will of God. You see, God wants us to willingly serve with obedience and fear and sincerity of heart as bondservants of Christ because God knows the ultimate good for his people is buried deep inside of the person and work of Christ. And so God is too loving a God to passionate a Savior to let us have components of our life that are disconnected from the gospel. So in order to secure our interaction with Christ, God has, labor, God has layered that inside of our employment, inside of our service. Those who are Christ's serve as Christ served. Christ is the baseline for our service. You see, see, well, let's go here first. Philippians. We know this. We've been in Philippians at church. This is the basis for our service. Paul's pushing the church to serve one another in Philippi, and he says this in verses 5 through 11 of chapter 2. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being made born in the likeness of men. So there you see, God, Jesus, in eternity, was master, and he was also servant. Jesus was master, perfection, unity with God, cosmic rule. Through him, all things were made. From him, through him, and to him are all things. And yet he became a servant. He's the model of both positions. And being found in human form, picking up in verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Christ obeyed God to death. Therefore, God, through Christ's willful submission and obedience, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above all name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, it would be easy to, to look at what Paul's saying here with slaves and masters and just preach moralism. Obey because it's good. But we avoid, we avoid moralism when we interact with Christ's life. When we get Christ's life right, there's no such thing as moralism. There's just a response to the perfect beauty of Christ. And because Christ came and emptied himself and served us and submitted to God on a cross, through that, every knee should bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, through the joyful, obedient, humble service of Christ towards his master God, the world gains salvation. And through your service, you're acknowledging God's sovereignty over your current circumstance. You're recognizing his purpose and his desire in your current circumstance, and you're also obeying God's glorious goal for salvation. See, Jesus... Jesus was unique. There's no one like Jesus. But Jesus was also a model who lived out godly precepts to show that godly promises come true. And it's hard to understand. It really is for us that, that an object of infinite importance such as God can be so concerned with what we see as the objects of least importance here on earth. When we get together with friends, when we get together with relatives, very, like we'll talk about our jobs, but it's because we really don't have that much else to do. But we don't find a huge amount of identity in what we're doing. We want to do, like, if we could get by without doing our jobs, wouldn't we want to do that? If we could get by without serving other people, wouldn't we want to do that? If we could get by without having a duty towards other people, wouldn't we want to do that? But again, if that's our view, our view is too small. Because look at what Paul says to us in Timothy. 1 Timothy 6.1. Yet all who are under a yoke, does it say bondservants up there? Yeah. So, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters of worthy of all honor, so that, okay, purpose statement, why are we doing this? So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. You see that? So, we are serving, we are obeying with all honor, not simply because Christ did it and it's good. Those are good. Those are good reasons. But we're also doing it. Why? So that the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ may not be reviled, may not be rejected. Your humble Christ-like attitude defends the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Your attitude towards work defends the gospel of Jesus. I didn't make it up. Paul said it. 
That's God. God said this. God inspired that. <laughs> Go to work. What an amazing thing. Don't we wrestle over how to evangelize? You ever thought, hey, I should show up on time. I should really think about what it is I'm doing. And there's more, okay? Titus. Titus 2, 9 through 10. It says this. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. It's not empty. It's not meaningless. It's not orders for a better society. It's orders for a Christian society. It's orders for evangelism. God has designed your labor as a Christian to be innately evangelistic. Why? Because when Christ is in you, Christ cannot be confined in there. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You cannot hide what Christ has done when it's inside of you. It goes to your work. It goes to your friend circle. It goes to the movies. It goes to your community group. It goes to church. And it does so because God wishes to make himself known amongst those who are his. God is passionate about how you respond to those in authority because God will save people through your response to those in authority. We preach Christ through our faithful and diligent service under authority. This is our life as Christians. This is our joy as Christians. This is our duty as Christians because it is sharing in the slightest glimpse of the suffering of which Christ took on this earth. Be amazed at this. Fix your eyes on this. Work through this and obey through this. Paul closes with the, universe, the universal appeal of this text where again, he's, he's got us in this trap. He's really showing us it's not about slaves and masters because he says this, masters do the same to them. Verse 9. See, it's not about slaves and masters. You, you do the same. You too, same. Do the same to them. Why? Stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. You see, if you labor well as a servant, you'll labor well as a master because your service to God has less to do about your position in the eyes of man and everything to do about your position of your God. God levels all authority. We all come before God as sinners in need of repentance. Whether a king or a toilet scrubber, we find ourselves equal under God and in need of his salvation before God who shows no partiality. This makes even the heaviest burden seem light as God has sent that salvation in his son. And this makes even the most trivial job seem important as we serve out of an overflow of that sacrifice. So what Paul is saying here is whether you are a wife, whether you are a husband, whether you are a child, whether you are a parent, whether you are a slave, or whether you are free, be mindful of your actions because God will judge you. Be mindful of your salvation because out of your salvation, your actions stem. Be humbled knowing that regardless of who you are and where you are, you are held responsible not to earthly authorities, but to God's authority. And God has granted us peace to approach him through the blood of his son. And so we let that shape every aspect of our lives. Work well, Christian, because Christ has worked well for your salvation.
and in working well out of the glory of Christ, we gain joy and satisfaction forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, these are hard words, um, just in the fact that it's so easy to to work thoughtlessly. It's so easy to work as an eye-pleaser. It's so easy um, to work um, in, in ways that we're thinking towards tomorrow and not thinking towards eternity. And it's, it, again, we are, our minds need your help in seeing the weight of salvation. Our hearts need assistance in feeling the transformation of the gospel. And so we ask, Lord, that you affix that desire in our heart. You affix a sincerity in our heart towards the gospel so that that sincerity leaks out in our service. It leaks out in our jobs. It leaks out in our homes and with our friends. Lord, make us better workers, not so that people know a Christian work ethic, but make us better workers so that people know the Christian Savior, Jesus Christ, and that every knee shall bow and tongue confess to the glory of God the Father. Amen.